because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. I'm excited to welcome Minnesota Timberwolves assistant coach Max Lefebvre to the basketball podcast. Originally from France, Max is going into his fourth season with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Max has been a video coordinator and player development coach. His focus is on player development, defense, and game prep strategy. Before the NBA, Max spent six years with Chris Beard from Division II Angelo State to Division I Little Rock and Texas Tech, where he's a part of the Final Four team. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Uh, appreciate you having me. Well, uh, I got to see you present, uh, thank you, at the BI Academy we held in Minneapolis, our basketball immersion coaching clinic. And, uh, you know, Ruth Sin, John Tower, Ben Johnson, Doug Novak, myself, and everyone left buzzing about you and your presentation. And then I was so fortunate. Thank you, Alex Ram and I got to watch you at summer league practice. And again, Alex and I just left. Like we were just so impressed. And I said, I got to do the podcast sooner than later. So thanks for joining us. I appreciate you, man. It's an honor being here. Big fan of the podcast. So anything about sharing the game is always good. Well, sharing the game, we will. And uh, we're going to dive into the NBA defenses. And that's uh, what I had a chance to see you do in both those settings. And uh, I know a lot of this for you started with the study, and that's the attributes of the best defense. So maybe outline that first before we dive deep. Yeah, so the way I kind of looked at it was look at what the best defenses are good at and, you know, trying to see if there was any um, common uh, things coming out of that. And there were, uh, you know, every most of the good defensive team are very good in transition defense. Um, they're very good at guarding three-point line and very good at protecting the paint. A uh, couple of things that kind of came out that I wasn't really expecting was that the free throw rate or I guess how much you foul does not have much impact on how good your defense is. I mean, some of these top five NBA teams, uh, some of them were really good at not fouling and some of them fouled a lot. Um, and the other thing was that, uh, you know, it's, it's all about how well you can guard the three, but not like a lot of these good teams give up a lot of threes uh, and some of them give up not that many threes. So there's not really a correlation between how many threes you give up. But the, the important thing is how good you can contest those threes. So, uh, that's kind of what the presentation is is based on, really, is just because now we're looking at what the best teams do best and trying to emulate that. And uh, for you, this directs your philosophy of defense. But uh, maybe maybe just let's go to the other side of the ball quick. How does it influence your offensive philosophy knowing these things? Yeah, I mean, obviously, transition, transition is, is key offensively as well. Uh, it's the most efficient offense in basketball, right? So... But every team that ever played is more efficient in open court than half court. So trying to get as many um, as many open uh, look and transition as we can and uh, looking to get to the rim and to the to the free throw line as those are the most efficient shots on the court. And then looking for open threes, which kind of comes next and trying to stay away from as much as much mid range as possible. And obviously defensively, you're trying to flip that and, and protect the paint, contest threes and trying to give them as uh as many mid-range twos as, as they want to take, as long as they're contested. 
So transition defense is obviously so important. And, uh, you know, you mentioned this, that, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of teams do have some different rules in transition, but uh, just as a whole, what are some of the most important things in the NBA in terms of transition defense? Yeah, to me personally, I think getting back and I think getting back on the shot and sprinting back on the shot is like, it sounds simple, but like if you could give me two teams and one of them has all these bells and whistles about transition defense, they got all these rules, uh, but they don't really sprint out of the gate. And one team that has absolutely no rule, but just sprint out of the gate every time, I would think the one that sprint out of the gate is going to be better in transition defense than the other one. So, you know, it's just, it's hard because you, you're fighting human nature. You know, the shot goes up and you just you want to look at the ball and there's kind of a lag time in between. But if you can get your team to actually sprint back, like first three steps are always huge. If you can sprint back in those first three steps as soon as the ball leaves the shooter's hand, I mean, you're going to be in, uh, you're going to be in great shape. And then from there, you know, if we are saying is get five guys below the ball, uh, so if you get five guys looking at the basketball and get in front of it, uh, from there, you you should be in good shape. You know, there's other rules that come into play. Uh, last man will go, we'll go weak side and, you know, things like that. You want to load to the basketball. But again, all those things are really relevant if you don't get back on the shot because you don't have time to set up your defense and do all these other things. And a lot of the variability in philosophy relates to offensive rebounding uh, philosophies as well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, some teams like to just send almost five back uh, and just start the transition defense that way. You know, kind of depends on personnel and what your philosophy is there. Uh, but if you're going to crash the, the the glass a little more, you're going to expose yourself uh, a little more in transition defense, which um, means that those guys that are getting back definitely has to be re- have to be really good at uh, getting back on the shot and kind of uh, starting your transition defense while other guys are crashing. Well, at the summer league practice, we saw you work on and we saw you use the term sandwich box out. So I got to ask you to explain that because that was pretty cool to be able to see you guys working on that. Yeah, I mean, rebounding is is another key that, you know, to defense, uh, you know, Mark Adams, who I worked for at Texas Tech, was a defensive coordinator, used to say is the most important part of defense. And at first it didn't click with me, but if you think about it, you know, the shot goes up and you did all these things and it really doesn't matter what you did if you can't get the rebound. So it, it is the most important part of defense. And I think when the shot goes up, it's just everybody has a job to do. Like when the shot goes up, you should never watch. There's always something for you to do. Obviously, if you're big, you're going to be in there banging and boxing out. But guards, uh, you know, it's different philosophies. But, if, you know, you can you can go to the nail. But the sandwich box side is really those guards kind of coming back down and, and getting two on one on some of these bigger, uh, these bigger offensive rebounders. If it's a, you know, really good offensive rebounder, maybe there's a mismatch down there. If you're switching and you got a smaller guy on a bigger guard and just basically sandwiching that guy between two people where you really can't jump. Uh, so that's, that's where the team term, the term come from. Well, and that is taking advantage of advantage in the sense that a lot of teams are sending so many people back in transition that you do have this advantage on the defensive boards. So the sandwich concept works, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's great stuff. Now getting into the core concepts and uh, some of the different things that uh, I know your study brought out for you and uh, is a big part of the philosophy of how, you know, NBA defense works. And we'll start with the first core defensive concept, which is support, heavy nail, high nail. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, the biggest thing we talked about, protecting the paint, right? Trying to take away uh, rim opportunities for the other team. So to be able to do that, unless you have an elite elite shot blocker, you're going to have to, you know, commit people to help and support, um, 
and we use the term support more than help. I uh, just kind of like, you know, help you kind of in a bad spot and you need help support. You're just kind of supporting you, supporting your teammate. But that's just that's just kind of a choice of worth there. Uh, but the nail is, you know, obviously the, the area right um, around the free throw line uh, in the middle of the floor. And we're trying to we're trying to load that area um, to where, you know, drive to the middle or obviously really uh, impactful offensively. So. Trying to get guys uh, heavy at the nail just means like really committed to be at the nail and, and make that driver uh, kick the basketball out. And then high nail is, you know, if, if you look at the nail, really just at the free throw line, right? And, and you're trying to stop that drive there. And then the ball is kicked out to the opposite wing. It's really, really hard to get back. It's just a long way. So the higher you can be, just, just picture uh, the nail at the free throw line and take a couple of steps up. And, and the better the shooter you're guarding on the other side, probably the higher you want to be. Uh, just because it's just easier to get back. You can stop the ball earlier and then get back out quicker uh, to that to that shooter. And again, you know, we stop the ball to get into the paint, but now we have to uh, we have to contest threes at a high level. So um, that that's kind of heavy nail and high nail stuff. Well, I love that idea of support rather than help, and help is too late. And it's a you know a, a defensive situation in that sense that you're trying to prevent. And this builds into one-way closeouts. And we'll talk about closeouts a little bit more detail, but particularly with this concept, right? One-way closeouts. Yeah. So um, I think it's important to be there early, right? So the earlier you can be there and you help, the earlier you can get out. And one-way closeout is just means that if you're there early, when the ball is kicked out, you can just go one way back to wherever you got it, where the ball is going to. But if you come in and as the ball is driven, and then have to come go back out. That would be a two-way closeout. So now your body is going one direction as the ball is driven. And by the time it's kicked out, all your momentum is going to the ball. It's impossible possible to get back. So be there super early, present yourself, arms out, be big, and then get back out uh, as soon as you can and just kind of load up uh, that inside leg, just push out instead of going two ways, uh, which is just too slow. And if a player is not early enough, so they do have to move in more to help and it would become a two-way closeout. In those situations, do we tell them not to bother helping them or are they still supposed to help or is that a decision? Uh, you know, it kind of depends on, on personnel at times and how good is that player, how good of a shooter you're guarding on the wing. But um, more times than not, we we rather be more aggressive than not. And just kind of, you know, if you if you just keep getting there and trying to get back out as, as much as you can and as hard as you can and contest that three, or, you know, there might be a stunt on the other side, a full rotation at that point, you know, kind of get, get the other part of your defense going. But the ball is what scores, right? So we want to stop the basketball as early as possible. And if it's in late, it's better than, than not. So. That's great. And, you know, I, I've dove into the biomechanics, so this wasn't a surprise, but a lot of coaches, the way you presented it in this concept of no choppy steps. Uh, so let's talk about that on closeouts, no choppy steps. And you referenced that that's one of the things that you have to change from college players coming to the NBA. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you, again, if you talk to sports performance people, they would tell you that it's not the best way to actually stop and go back in a different direction. It's kind of one of those things that people have been doing for a very long time, and it kind of it kind of seems like it makes sense. And when I was a player, I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, uh, but if you really look at it, 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 it's not the best way. Um, so we we just close out all the way uh, and then uh, and then stop at that point. But but really, if you the, the thing is that, you know, we're trying to stop the basketball from from being the paint and people scoring at the rim, which means you have to 
um, you're going to have to commit some people to the paint, which is going to make those close out longer. And then we're trying to take away threes. And the only way to take away threes is to run out people. Um, and by chopping your feet on a long closeout and then trying to put a hand up, I, I mean, at, at this level, I think at most level, really, that shot is going up. And you don't really have much impact on impact on the shot at that point. So uh, we're more worried about contesting the three than just trying to stay in front of basketball. Obviously, you're still trying to stay in front of basketball if it's driven, but taking away the threes are, are just more important than anything. So we want to run people up the, uh, up the line and, and that's the best way to do it. And then um, as far as contests go, you know, we try to teach right to right or left to left. So, you know, uh, your right hand uh, contesting by the right hand of the shooter. And if it's a left hand shooter the other way, it's not always perfect. But the biggest thing here, I think, is to understand to be able to contest shot at a high level. You're going to have to jump to the side of people. Uh, if you jump right in front, one, you're taking the chance at uh, fouling and landing in that shooter's space. Right. And then you can't get close enough. So uh, a lot of times it's just better to just run and just kind of jump on the side and get you a better contest. And then if, you know, if they shot fake and trying to relocate and stay by the three point line, uh, you can get a second effort and kind of contest from behind. But the chopping your feet, put your hand up and, and uh, contesting the shot from in front of other shooters is just too slow. And uh, talk a little bit more detail then. What is actually the terminology or how do you actually explain it to a player that you need to develop their defensive concept and let's say break that choppy step habit? Yeah, we, we basically tell them to close out to the touch and that's all the way up and just run at the player and just break down in the stance at that point. Right? And then if he's going to shoot at that point, you're just going to jump and you're going to contest to the side. Uh, you know, it's like you said, it's just it's hard for guys coming out of college um, but, you know, it takes reps and some player development. You know, you can work on some defensive stuff as well and just kind of rep those closeouts. You don't have to do all offense. Uh, and, and that sounds like a basic thing, but that's that's a huge thing. As, as big as, uh, as shot contests is in the NBA, like Coach Finch has a saying, and it just makes sense. It's just the level of your defense is, is really the level of contestedness you know, you can bring, right? So if you can really contest shots uh, at a high level, your defense is going to be pretty good. And these breakdown steps. And again, I, I, I can't tell coaches to watch young people or, you know, even get your players to play tag. And when you watch them move, when they're running and stopping and changing direction, they're never chopping their steps. So it's not natural. They would just never do that intuitively on their own. So why are we teaching something they don't intuitively do? Exactly. Yeah, It's not natural. And if you actually look at, at uh, like some of the best defenders and you just, you just study how they how they guard and how they contest shot, they will never chop their feet. They're just running out people and contesting shot or running out people stopping and trying to cut them off. But you'll never see um, really good defenders do, do that. Yeah, they run as fast as you can and stop as fast as you can is how a performance that's coach right. explains it. That's something, that, that's something that you can work on, you know, and just, uh, in, you know, weight room or just sports performance and stuff like that. How good can you stop and how good can, can you stop and go? You know, it's just... That's something that's huge in the NBA offensively and defensively. Like, you know, can you really stop and, and go on a dime and change speed? And that's, that's something that's impactful on both ends of the court. And uh, back to this running them off the line concept, it's, it's the whole goal is to make them play more in the mid-range, right? Yeah, exactly. You're trying to run them off. So basically, if you're going to run them off the line, that means somewhere at some point you help, right? And you're closing back out to somebody. So you stop them from scoring in the paint and then you're closing back out. Now you're taking the three away. And then they're going to drive it again, hopefully. And then you're going to help again and trying to, at some point, they're going to have to take a mid-range shot. That's kind of the, 
the perfect situation for you, right? Hey coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. And the other phrasing that I love that you shared uh, when you presented this at the uh, BI Academy was willing to leave everything to go contest a shot. And it just spoke to the importance of contesting the shot, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just it's something that can be a little uh, unnatural. You know, you rotate, you rotate, you rotate and kind of get an open shot. And it's just like you kind of watch it and look at it. And if you, you know, if you're really good and, you know, I've got really good athletes, obviously. But if you just even if you in the paint when they catch the basketball, it's still time to just run out and just do something. You know, something is better than nothing. So just don't feel like you always have to like. At any point, have to just stop and watch a shot. Like that's a big no-no. Like just give it one effort, just one run at somebody can make a difference. Uh, so you'll see the good teams uh, that that are really good at contesting threes. They just keep rotating and keep rotating. Yeah, and there's always an extra effort, extra effort, just multiple efforts going on trying to get back to shooters. So a right-handed shooter, we're going to contest them with our right hand, and that's your terminology of ref, right to right, and then obviously left to left. So I'm curious, the NBA definitely has changed a lot in terms of a player who is getting run off the line. They aren't driving the ball like they used to. They're resetting to try and shoot, right? So talk to us about how that recovery works. And then in terms of that player that says go right to right, and then they try and recover. Yeah. So if you, if you run somebody off the line, you know, and they're trying to basically shot fake and just sidestep and stay behind the three point line. First of all, that's a lower percentage shot overall and just a catch and shoot three so you did some of your job but it comes back to multiple effort now you can you come back down so by the time you come down and they dribble to the side you should be somewhere right behind them and you can contest from behind and and you know you're probably not going to block that shot but you can you can put a contest and make them feel you uh and make that shot a lot a lot harder shot but that's definitely the kind of what offenses are going to try to do instead of driving right back at you especially for good shooters um but uh, as long as you can run them off the line and give them a second effort, you, you've done your job. This is fun to get into this detail of it. And, uh, you know, obviously the next part of that is say it's a right to right. And this may happen more in college, high school, youth level is right to right. And now the player drives to score after. What are what are we doing on the back end in terms of trying to support that player that now is ran the player off the line and now the ball is driving to score? Yeah. So now you, you just back to basically the beginning, but they have less time on the, on the clock. Right. So they're going to drive it again. And then somebody else, you know, you should have a low man or somebody coming, coming to help on the basketball. And then, you know, the goal is to make them kick him back out. That's going to be another closeout. And, you know, it just keep on going and going. And I like, well, it's only 24 seconds. So uh, it goes by quick. But basically, you know, what you, the way I like to put it is, is you banking on your rotation and your effort better than the other team's ball movement. You know, it sounds like it'd be easy to beat, but a lot of teams drive it one time, make a pass, and take a semi-contested three. Or they might drive it twice, right? But if you can have multiple efforts and just keep going, at some point, 
you know, they're going to take a contested shot or the ball is going to end up in the hands of somebody that just not a very good playmaker and is bound to make a mistake. So usually, again, you're just banking on your aggressiveness and, and how good your rotations and, and your efforts are uh, being better than the other team just moving the basketball. So it's just a constant fight every drive and every possession. So I want to dive into rotations and get into some of those concepts. Before we do, one of the other core principles that you share is arms out. So let's talk about arms out first. Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's just a small thing, but it just has a big impact. You know, basketball player, a lot of them have good length, and you're just so much bigger um, when you just have your arms out. If you get at that nail, heavy nail, high nail, and you have your arms out and somebody's driving, it's just it's just the presence. And you, know, you just have a lot more presence, a lot more impact. Uh, and really, you just your feet are in the same position, but you just take a lot more room on the court and kind of close those areas. They just look more crowded to the offensive players. So a lot of that is perception. You know, that those these arms are probably not really going to do much. I mean, you can swipe at it uh, when it comes through, but the biggest thing is perception and what do they see when they come they come through that, that on that drive, right? They see somebody big with their arms out that might swipe at the basketball, they're more likely to kick it out if you got your arms right next to you and it just look like a whole ocean right there. Such a simple concept, and that's the perceptions right on. And, you know, we tend to talk about it a lot, say, in zone defense, but not as much in man-to-man for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it's, it's key to, to a good defense for sure. And, uh, you know, coming back now to now we're trying to cover the drive or trying to get into rotations. Let's start with the corner help concept, because, again, this used to be really a taboo, and it still it is for some teams to not help off the ball side corner. But, yeah, I think you talk about 60 yeah, that's the term we use. Uh, it's basically 6,100 means 60% towards the ball, but 100% committed to the corner. Uh, so, again, you, you, we want you there. We want you big. We want your arms out. We want a lot of presence when that boy is driving from the slot and you guard in the corner. At the end of the day, we don't want you to just give up a wide-open corner three, which is one of the most, you know, uh, highest percentage shot in the league. Uh, but but we want you we want presence, all right? So sixty percent towards the ball, you there, but one hundred percent you're gonna get back to the shooter at some point. Now there's some exceptions to that. Obviously, if you're guarding a, a below average to non-shooter in the corner, which might not happen a lot, but uh, you know you you can full body help at that point and stop the basketball. Uh, and then whoever's guarding the basketball can actually rotate to the corner into some kind of pill switching things or fly switch, whatever, you know, goes, whatever people call call those. Uh, so you can do that. But just because we say no corner threes and don't help from the corner doesn't mean that you're not showing presence and being big in, in that area. Uh, and you, if you can just get guys to pick the ball up at that point and just earlier, uh, the earlier, the better than you've done your job. You know, it just makes your rotation easier on the back end. Especially important on an NBA court because of the spacing. And let's just give coaches a visual. So if someone's on the slot, they're driving the ball to the outside. Your 60% is in help, but you want them to recover to their check. Now, if they can't recover to their check, then that player will full stop the ball and then will peel switch, go, You, I think you said uh, a blow by uh, type of switch. Yeah, yeah. So whoever's guarding the basketball, if that corner guy helping is checking me, you know, we'll just keep on going basically to that guy in the corner. And that's kind of a natural thing that happens. Uh, I know some teams teach it, uh, but if you just play hard and just keep rotating, guys will just figure out on their own. They're like, okay, my guy got stopped by somebody else. Where is the next guy, right? So, uh, you know, I think that's a concept you can talk about. Some teams do it more than others. 
but it's something that happened a lot naturally as well if you just uh, if you just play hard and, and just committed to stopping the basketball. Are these do these two player rotations because these are essentially two player rotations? Do they happen in other situations on the court? Uh, I mean, they can they can happen in other situations. They can happen on on different drives. The one to the corner is kind of the easiest one and the most frequent that you'll see, just because the space there is is somewhat smaller and you can kind of make that happen pretty fast. Uh, but you know, it, it might happen in, in some pick and roll situation and a lot of other situations, uh, people call it different things at that time, but same concept. But, but I think that that outside drive from the slot, uh, is, is one that you'll see a lot. And then if it becomes three or four player rotations, then it gets into some X outs first. Let's start with the simplest concept. So talk to us about X out rotations. Yeah. So if you, you know, think about, uh, uh, slot drive again to the outside and you have somebody 6100 in the corner again their job is not to stop the basketball it's just to be a presence so who is going to stop the basketball right so then your low man uh, sitting right underneath the rim should be coming over and stopping the basketball uh, and then whoever is guarding the opposite slot is going to have to play call it just play two right so he's going to have to guard the corner or he's going to have to guard uh, the slot so whatever first pass goes he goes so uh, and then from there, you're going to have to X out. So let's say drive from the slot uh, outside, uh, low man is committed, the ball is kicked um, to the corner. You know, that guy in the opposite slot would take the corner and then low man would then get back out. Uh, you know, kind of a, in an X, that, you know, that's why it's called X out. I guess basically it's just uh, kind of an X um, pattern uh, those, with those two guys kind of rotate rotating. Yeah, and they're switching checks, so you're not recovering to your own check as part of that. Right at that point, you um, you you're getting back to somebody else. Now, if the ball is driven, um, same thing outside, and the ball is kicked to uh, kicked to the slot, then that guy that's playing two would actually get back to his own main because it's the first pass, and then the low man would get back to his own main uh, in the corner, and we just we just tell him to get back. He basically got two passes to get back at that point. Right. So if you're the low man, you stop the basketball, the ball is kicked to the to the wing. Uh, wherever it was playing two is getting back to that man. You have to get back to the corner in two passes. And then diving deeper and uh, sharing a little bit more about the peel switch is essentially this is the concept now that instead of trying to recover to your check or try and drive it into a double, you're getting away early. You're getting off your check early because, you know, helps there. Right. Yeah. And at that point, you know, if you just if it's a blow by and you just basically done right. And somebody else has to full body help on the basketball. You just got to find out the next rotation. And, you know, you can try to diagram it and just go through shell and make it perfect. By the end of the day, a lot of things going to happen. So you just got to scramble and just, I like to call it near man concept, just get back to the next guy and just keep on rotating, right? So uh, just have to figure out situations from there. And that's, if you're going to run that type of defense and be aggressive and run people off the line and and be early with your low man, you're going to be scrambling a lot. So it's something you definitely have to get really good at. Well, I know it's something I know you you talk a lot about scramble and uh, collapsing and some different terms like that. And it's also one of the reasons, and I know you're uh, a fan of this as well, is that defense comes down to decision making as much as offense does in terms of individual defenders making decisions and their teammates knowing how to cover for their decision or support their decision. Yeah, for sure. And I think they're like they're, 
we, we tell our guys like the earlier you can help the better because now it makes it obvious for the next person on what their job is right if you help at the last second then you know that last there's just much less time for that next person to rotate so if you can just help early and communicate then the next person knows what to do and it's just kind of a chain reaction and uh, you know you can get your rotations going from there but if you do it late you know that's when you get in trouble what is a fly switch then it's basically the the same same concept just people calling it different things you know pill switching okay. fly switching goes uh you know people are just different terms for the for the same thing okay i've heard the term and i wasn't sure if that was all the same thing so that's great in terms of that and then uh, some of the other terms that you use which i want you to share some insights on one is directional what does directional mean relative to the defense yeah i think it's it's more like an iso situations uh you know nba players are obviously really good offensively uh and when you get stuck on an island even with help like you i think uh even as good as these players are they're always better going one way or the other you know some elite guys are just you know almost impossible to stop either way but most guys have a, have a very dominant dominant hand um so it's just you know if you get stuck in a, in a iso situation with them just sending them to um the hand that they you know they like the least and just uh, everybody kind of knowing that and building some help towards that direction so you basically send one way uh influencing uh that more than sending sending kind of again choice of word but sending is more like okay i'm opening the gate influence is more like okay i'm just sending you that way but i'm still keeping you in front um but just yeah sending them a direction the one direction they don't like to go and building help you know in that area um to force them that way into some help so be directional relates to scouting report does that relate to closeouts on the ball as well are you trying to be directional or you're trying to be square first we i mean you can try to be directional and close eyes that's a little harder to do uh hopefully you know if some guys are you know if you can somebody you want to send him left and you can close out and just open up to the to their left hand especially guys that are not very good at putting the basketball on the floor but overall when it comes to close out i think the biggest thing is just get him off the three-point line and make him drive it again if you can make him drive into where i uh, did not as good then great but i don't think it's just uh the most important thing there i think it's more important more in an iso uh situation or just basically just drive situation Hey coach, I just want to let you know Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www.justplaysolutions.com forward slash bball immersion. Great. And then another concept is uh, verticality. And uh, before you get into verticality, is this something that applies at all levels of basketball? I know, you know, having watched many NBA practices, this is a huge thing. I think it applies yeah, at every level. I think this, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of times when people think about rim protection, they think about shot blocking. And I think you can have great rim protection without a shot blocker. You know, there's other ways to protect the rim again by being early. You can take charges, which is even more more impactful than uh, than a block shot. Or you know, if you get stuck late, you know, you can just jump 
The verticality is basically jumping straight up, both hands up, and just taking it in the chest. And that's a big point because a lot of guys like to jump and then just kind of jump sideways and then let the offense get through. Uh, but if you if you really look at finishing at all levels and even in the NBA, like there's a lot of guys that struggle to finish around, you know, contact or around length. So if you can just jump straight up and and give them that that look where they just have to finish around you, you know, a lot of times those are misses. Uh, even if you don't touch them and they just have to just go around you or they jump, it's just it's just a lot harder to finish. So that's a that's a huge thing. Just take it in the chest, jump straight up. Uh, make them shoot over you, and those those are low low percentage finishes. Well, I know officials make mistakes, and I know that's a shock at all levels. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, the one thing about the verticality rule is that it it's definitely much better officiated at the NBA level. They spend a lot of time educating coaches, players, officials about this rule, right? Whereas a lot of other levels, it seems so inconsistent about whether it's called or not. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing for officials. I would say that they still get it wrong a lot, even in the <laughs> NBA. But but the biggest point of emphasis here is uh, kind of point A to point A is what they call it, A to B. Uh, basically, wherever you you jump from is where you should you should land, right? Uh, but if you jump from one area and end up in a, in another, basically jumping sideways or forward, that's why you get called for a foul. As long as you just jump straight up and down, you, you know, you should be fine. You can't bring your arms down. That's another no-no that will get you automatic call from the referee. Uh, just straight up, A to A, uh, hands up. You know, uh, some people like to say, you know, elbows behind your ears or whatever. You know, teaching point is different different ways to do it. But the biggest thing is you have to be straight up, you yeah. And uh, like I, I saw Stan Van Gundy with the Pistons. I mean, a few training camps, a few practices I saw, and they worked on this concept almost every time I went to see it in some form or other, whether it was part of a group or as part of player breakdown type drills. I imagine that's the same with your roster. Yeah, definitely. You can look, you can work on it practice. You can work on it on player development against some defensive component that you can kind of touch on every day. And there's a little technique to it, but uh, guys that are really good are just really good rim protector. Again, you don't have to be a shot blocker to to do it, uh, and it is very very effective. That's great stuff. And I think at the college level, a lot of coaches call that walling up. Yeah. So the difference for us, like to me, walling up is basically doing that without jumping. Uh, you just basically straight up and kind of just clamp that guy there, which uh, which is good. Um, the biggest thing at the NBA level is you cannot do that inside a restricted area. Right. So if you do that inside the restricted area, it's an automatic foul. So you'd have to, if you're in a restricted area, you have to jump. Right. So that's when verticality really comes into play. If you can stop the basketball before that, you know, by all means, um, you know, build that wall and, and wall up is, is great. Good. I made sure I want to make sure we covered that because I know some people think it's the same and it's not in terms of that. And then, um, uh, you know, the best defenses obviously combine all these concepts. And, uh, you know, that's when you're starting to say run them off the line into a peel switch, into an X out, and all these things get combined. And can you talk a little bit about how you practice to be able to get players to be able to combine all these sequences? Yeah, I think I think I put guys in those situations. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the wherever you give the offense an advantage to start like a slot drive or, you know, uh, the defense is going to get beat and then you have to get into his rotations. Uh, I think disadvantage drill defensively are huge, whether it's four on three or five on four, uh, where you just have to figure out, you obviously one man down, you have to get to the next guy, you have to rotate. And it's just a mindset, you know, just obviously uh, film study and, and uh, emphasizing that. 
Uh, but I think that's something you you work on basically every day. Like I think you should work on pick and roll every day, and I think you should work on basically scrambling out of situations every day. Those are two things that uh, you know, on top of transition, which you know you can always work on live every day. But those are things that should happen every day. Well, we knew we had to get into ball screen, and you already mentioned it. And uh, let's start with the I think one of the most important modern concepts, and that's cancel the screen. Yeah. So to me, I think. Uh, if you look at pick and roll defense, and it used to be that way, it's kind of changing, but people think, okay, that's the big's job. Okay, the guard's going to get screened and the ball's going to get to the big and he has he has to handle this, this pick and roll situation. We talk about all the coverage you can think about, but I think the guard has to take responsibility and ownership in the pick and roll. Like, if you can cancel the screen, which basically means just not getting screened, and there's different ways to do that. You know, if you pressure the ball, get into the ball and the guard can't even get close to the pick and roll. Well, that's one way. If you can just get over the top of it, just basically don't get screened. Now, the screen doesn't happen. Uh, you don't have to put two on the basketball. The big doesn't have to help. And now you're in great shape, right? Now uh, you got a guard, a ball handler on the pressure and basically everybody's covered. So, you know, I think, again, the guard has to take responsibility and, and the really good guards, really good defensive guards just basically will tell you, like, I don't need help. I can cover that all by myself. And, and those are the really good ones. And it takes a lot of effort uh, and, and being you know, some technique, technique, uh, technical part of that as well. But that's, that's what the best can do. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about some of that technique. Uh, get into the ball and war over. Yeah, so you can't, you can't send the ball anywhere. The first thing, you can't get refused, right? That's the one, the one thing that you don't want to do in pick and roll because there's no help on the other side. And offensively, you know, flip that you should always try to you know refuse pick and roll but you can't get refused that means we have to whatever you're not trying to get refused send the basketball to the screen or you just uh weaken it or strongen it being directional in the pick and roll which can get to a lighter point but you're basically sending a direction and you can't do that unless you into the basketball you can't send anybody anywhere unless you have pressure on them to to send them a direction um so so that's the that's the first thing um and then the different techniques i think um you know, I know you'll probably upload some videos at some point. I'd be easier to to kind of see. But if you can just get over the screen, but if it's a stationary screen, a stationary ball handler, you know, those are the easiest one. You can you can get that top foot, uh, the one closer to the pick and roll to the to the screen over. Uh, and it's basically slide over that screen and just not get screen. Uh, when it gets harder, is like when everything is in movement, somebody like a ball handler is dribbling uh, towards the pick and roll. And now you kind of have to basically get on a guy hip and, and jump around the screen. And you're going to get uh, trying to get back in front. But there's, there's different techniques that, that you can use. The, the biggest thing is still getting into the ball. Uh, I think that's that's just the number one thing. If you can do that, especially even at lower levels where ball handlers might not be as good. I think that's just that's just that's a lot. It's going to cancel a lot of ball screen just by having ball pressure. Now, I saw you apply something similar in the, the summer league practice and, it, you know, you didn't call it cancel, but you said stop. And it was basically the same concept in a way that teams were running pistol against you and you wanted to stop pistols from even happening. So I, yeah. and I love that concept. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we call it stop sign. And, and basically, you know, the, the 21 pistol action is just a guard to guard step up right on, along the sideline. You can you can do a regular step up as well if you want to a regular angle pick and roll. You know the screen kind of going to the sideline. Uh, but but what you're trying to do there is basically just force the basketball to the middle, uh, so away from the screen. So you know it's kind of like the opposite of blueing it or icing it. You know you're just trying to send it away from where the screen comes from. But it's really the same idea. Uh, 
you know, and and what that does is basically take away basically all the options of uh, of that pistol series or a lot of them. Uh, and same thing with uh, with uh, pick and roll. You know, you you know, you can just send it there and have your help sitting there. And you know, that's not what people are trying to get to when they run this step up pick and roll. So again, it's trying to take away from uh, from the offense and what they you know take away what they're trying to do. You know, trying to be aggressive uh, first and then. Uh, deal with what they want to do next, but make them do something else. Uh, the, the more I saw, saw it and thought about it, I, I love the idea because instead of defending a three-player action in pistols, you're essentially defending a two-player. And then the other concept is instead of it going to open space, it's going to more help, right? There's more support if you're canceling it or sending it to the... Yeah, especially a pistol because you, you, uh, you should have a big at the top of the key, right? So if you send it to the middle, you basically have that big sit right there and there's nowhere to go, which... Uh, which is another concept that we call center, and it's basically the same thing. You just send the basketball to the middle of the floor where you where all your help is. Uh, you should have a lot of a lot of support. Whereas the big there, there's somebody on the other wing. I mean, if you load it to the basketball, there's a lot of people to get through if the ball goes to the middle. And the big is essentially playing drop coverage there. That's the mindset of that. Yeah, at that point, you know, it's just basically supporting. Uh, and, and it's really, it's, again, there's so much traffic that it shouldn't be much you know, anywhere to go, but yeah, he's basically supporting that. A lot of that happens kind of early in, in, in the floor of the offense. So it's hard to be very aggressive in pick and roll as the ball gets down the floor early uh, as you're trying to build up your defense. So yeah, the biggest basically like supporting, supporting that and kind of, in a uh, bend, but don't break kind of uh, philosophy there. Before we get into the big and the two player def- defending actions in the pick and roll. So talk to us a little bit more about the player on the ball. So say they, they did get beat or, you know, they're trying to recover. You talk about pursue and then rear view contest or rear contest, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, that's the biggest thing. Once you get hit or, you know, at some point, if you, even if you get over the top, you might be stuck on the guy's hip. Uh, we call it pursue and just get back in front, right? So you want to pursue the ball handler. Uh, and just get back in front of basketball as much as you can. You want to do that with, you know, high hands and trying to take away passing angles as well. And then if he does, uh, you know, kind of pull up in the mid-range, then, you know, you can uh, contest from behind. And as your biggest kind of dropping back if you're in a drop coverage. Uh, but review contest is, is huge. Again, you, you want to, you want to, you want other teams to take mid-range shots, but you want them to be contested. All right. Just, just because they take a mid-range shot doesn't mean that, that, that it's over. Right? You, you want them them as contested as possible as well. It's great. And one of the terms that uh, I, I adapted from you after I saw you is presentation, which is, again, I get asked this a lot about how to teach drop and these different types of coverages. And I love that term for the big presentation. Can you dive into that? Yeah. I mean, the thing with, with that is, again, perception, I think, you know, when the guard comes off and you see a big inner stance with his arms out, you know, and that's what we call presentation. Uh, it's basically being a stance, your arms out. It just it just looked like somebody that's ready to play defense instead of kind of a big on his heel with his you know hands by his side and just kind of uh, softly going back. Now good guards gonna look at that and just go right at that big. Uh, but guards coming off and looking at somebody with great presentation, they're gonna think about it twice uh, and get you big in, in a stance ready to kind of react to to other things as well. So I think it's huge. The, the first part is probably communication. Uh, you know you want to tell the guard what, whatever you coverage you in, what direction we send it to. Uh, so you want to do that. And then your presentation, again, is is huge. What what does the player see when it comes out of that pick and roll? And I love it. I love huge. it. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, like we don't want the big to help. And you talk about stunt, you know, in terms of that 
concept of the big we don't want them to help but we want them to stunt and uh you know stunt contest i think is the term you use yeah and, and that's something that, that we've done uh we've done is just is just basically as you're dropping back you don't want to lunge at the basketball but again these guys are so good coming off and so used to playing against drop coverage uh you want them to you want to give them something to think about whether it's, it's just basically a stab at the basketball while going back again you can't lunge forward and do that you'll get beat uh, but just if you get the guard to kind of hesitate and pick up the basketball, it just buys you maybe half a second for that guard to get back in front or maybe picks up the ball and throws it early and your other rotations are, uh, are easier. Uh, so that, that's kind of kind of the, the mindset there. So the guards trying to get over themselves they are trying to make the screen, not a screen that's cancel the screen and the bigs in presentation. But if the guard, uh, the handler now gets to the screen and now the guard has to try and recover the big presentation goes to stunt contest. What's their next level of help in terms of if it's needed? Yeah. So at that point, you know, the biggest job is to keep the basketball in front. You know, you want to keep the ball in front. You can't get beat. And if you're in a deep drop, uh, you, your other job is to not get the roller get behind you. Right. So you can play that that pick and roll two on two if you're in kind of a deep drop situation to where everybody kind of stay at home. Um and then I think what you have to understand is like when when guards start pulling up in the mid range, uh, as the big, it's not your job to contest that, right? Uh, is the guards re- that's why review contest is so important because if you're big, if you picture that the guards kind of coming off, and let's say it gets to the elbow or, or whatever mid range area, and he start pulling up, and the big contest that shot, well, the roller is just rolling straight to the rim. Uh, and it's easy offensive rebound if it's a miss, right? So you want the guard to be able to get back and review contest and the big to get back to the big to put a big body, bigger body on a bigger body and trying to um, trying to contest that. Now, if the big is engaged all the way, right, the guards keep coming at him, uh, at that point, we have, you have to do what we call veer back and it's basically a switch at that point and the guard have to reroute and get into the big's legs and, and – uh, the big at that point would contest the shot if it's more like a floater or two, you know, kind of a rim attempt. And and veer out. That's when you'll get into triple switching if needed as well. In terms of you know a big, you know, supporting the guard at the rim so the guard doesn't have to cover them. Yeah, at some point you, know, you just have somebody in that area that can you know if the shot goes out, that might be a no sandwich box out opportunity, uh, or that might be a big getting back on a big and the guard getting back out. A lot of times it happens fast, right? So the shot goes up, the, the the small just have to, you know, fight his butt off. Uh, you have to get to the big's legs, kind of terminology there, trying to make it hard for him to jump and just just push him out as much as possible. Uh, two other concepts that go in terms of, you know, especially off the ball and you, it comes back to perception is you want to fan out to shooters, but at the same time, you want to make it seem like there's a crowd or make them play in a crowd. So can you talk about those two things? Yeah, it's uh you you again, you want to stop stop them from getting a rim attempt and two. So you have to commit people to the to the paint. Um, and then when the, the, you have to, you have to, what we call read drives as well. Some of these drives are not kind of like non-threatening drives. Uh, they kind of go in east, west and not straight to the rim. So on those, you kind of want to read those and get back to the shooter. Uh, again, talked about the decision-making that comes with defense, as you, you know, you said earlier. Uh, so you want to read those drives and, and trying to get back to shooters if it's a non-threatening drives. Uh, but, and that's when you, you start fanning out. Um, but also, you know, don't, don't do like, it's not like, uh, you want to do that too much. Cause it, it's, you're still trying to contest. You still want to stub the rim and then you want to get back out and contest threes, but it's, it's more of a read and, and kind of cat and mouse game, 
uh, of just seeing you know, how, how aggressive that drive is, and you know, is it is is that guy beat too? You know, you got to read, yeah, read where the drive going, where's the defender, is he, is he really beat or not? And then you know, uh, do you have to kind of full body help at that point, or can you just get back to shooters? Yeah, and I'm curious how you how you teach that, how you coach that. Is that through a lot of video and a lot of understanding for players? I mean, the difference between heavy support and light support. Yeah, I think I think uh, video is a great tool there. You know, it'd be like, okay, this driver right here is kind of not threatening. It's, it's, it's to west. Uh, you know, we could get back here. You're a good job getting back. Whatever happened in that situation, um, you can you kind of work on it in like some two on two settings. Uh, you know, kind of small sided games or three on three. We just you know kind of read those drives and just just get better at it. Uh, and then you know, it's, it's also like. Was the is it a mismatch? Is it you know is it a really good driver? Is it you know is your big switched on a guard? Like well at that point you're probably not going to fan out. Uh, but is it like a, a quicker guy on on somebody that's just not as fast with the basketball? And you probably already know that you can you know you there, but in your mind you know that you probably can be able to get back out. So again, just kind of thinking the game on a defensive end. How does how does a ghost screen um, change? Uh, or does it change anything in terms of defensive philosophy that you're outlining here? Yeah, there's there's kind of two ways to guard the goal screen, right? Uh, one is you know like kind of the uh, the no screen, no scheme kind of thing. Just like if if it doesn't touch you, there's no screen. Stay what you want. If there's a screen, you know, switch it. Uh, the and some people will do that, uh, but the, the biggest thing there is just creates a lot of confusion, in my opinion. Uh, so what we started doing, we started switching all of it, whether it's a screen or we kind of come close or not. It's just a, it's just a switch. Uh, you have to be able to kind of be physical with the screener and kind of redirect him and put your hands on him, which you might not be able to do at every level. But basically, everything comes close and not screen, kind of screen, screen is all a switch. So it kind of takes away some of that confusion. Now, teams will get. Obviously, uh, trying to counter that by like not even coming close, and now it's really hard to switch because there's a lot of separation. Uh, what we end up doing in the playoff with Memphis at that point is we went back to the uh, no screen kind of no no scheme thing uh, because they just kept using that and kept using that. But as a in a regular season, as kind of a philosophy, our philosophy was just switch switch everything, and then you can adjust from from that. That's also because a lot of teams are just doing touch rolls. I mean, they're not actually setting the ball screen, even when they're running a ball screen. Yeah, exactly. They're just basically touching and pulling out or just touching and going. So, uh, and at that point, they're just touching and rolling. You know, you have to try to get under that, which can be can be hard. But uh, that's why, again, if you can redirect the screener and be physical with the screener, you just don't want to let the screener run up there just freely to where they can not create space. Uh, but if you kind of go up there with the screener, put your hands on him, basically push him to to the to the switch. Uh, now that space gets smaller and it's hard, it's easier to switch. So any insights in terms of uh, pocket pass to the short roll and the responsibilities or reactions that happen from there? Yeah, so if the ball gets, you know, into the into the short roll, um, if your big is beat, then your low man should be your next kind of next layer of defense, and then you would end up X and out. Uh, we talked about earlier from that. From there, uh, you know, if you're in a deep drop, the big should be able to kind of get back to the big at that point. Uh, but yeah, it kind of depends on, on what coverage coverage you're in uh, at that point. But if the ball gets to the pocket and it's coming to the rim, you low man is probably going to be your next line of defense. Your preferred Spain pick and roll defense. 
<laughs> oh man, we're talking about all the technicality. Let, let's say it's it. your perfect situation. Yeah, so the Spain pick and roll, what NBA call, uh, people call it a stack, stack action. Uh, the best way if you're going to drop coverage to me is to switch the two guards. Uh, so whoever's guy in the screener would jump out and get the basketball. And then whoever's on the, was, was on the ball would just take out the guy kind of popping out of the stack or spin action. Um, and then the big would just kind of roll underneath that, that screen. So he doesn't try not to get screen. Uh, he basically uh, keeps the body on the body at that point and, and take things away. What people will start doing is just start slipping out very early, which make it a little harder to to switch. Uh, it'll take some uh, some communication, and you know, at some point, if they just keep doing that, you might have to just stay. Uh, if they're trying to explode it that way, it's just an adjustment. Uh, what we started doing this year is where we're more aggressive in pick and roll, more in uh, what we call a high wall, which is basically a flat hedge. Um, you know, taking the ball to the sideline. So if you do that, that kind of takes away uh, basically the, um, the 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 span action as well. But it's hard to do, like, because you don't you don't always see it. So that's not you covered. It's not like you'd be like, well, it'd be great to just trap every span action, right? Because then you can just uh, put two people on a basketball, and your low man can take care away, take take care of the big rolling. Uh, but it's hard to see it coming. So, uh, but our, our defensive coverage was aggressive. So, kind of took it away that way. If you want to drop, I would say switch the guard is the best way to do it. And then uh, with handoffs, is it uh, pretty similar to the ball screen philosophy in terms of uh, guarding handoffs? Yeah, a lot of times we just the big is basically in the same same coverage. Uh, the guard would give them the option with most people. We call it fastest route. And just trying to navigate as best as you can. Uh, you know, if you take fastest route, doesn't mean easiest route, doesn't mean like go under every time, right? It's just, you know, try to get over. If you, you know, if you're in a good position to get under, uh, what you can do is just have no pressure on that guy and just kind of go under softly. If you're going to go under, you want to uh, basically go under at the last second. You want to be just very, very physical in the last second, you can jump under. Uh, but the, the Big's responsibilities are very similar, um, but we give the guard a little freedom there uh, to guard that action because there might be some other action before that. I might make them late where it's really, really hard to keep chasing that. So, um, but yeah, and then, you know, kind of differentiate dribble handoff and handoffs. Uh, dribble handoff, you know, kind of big dribbling at. Uh, and handoff is more of a stationary kind of pass and chase uh, type stuff. I think if you can try to blow up pass and chase, you're in a good spot. Um, be aggressive with that. Uh, DH shows are a little, a little harder to do. So we're trying to cancel the gap, so to speak, in terms of that. The, the Yeah, exactly. If you can just, as soon as you pass it, get into the body and just push him over the top and make it hard for that, for that pass back. I think that, that puts you in a good spot because if you go under that, uh, it's just the biggest because sitting there, and you can just kind of hand it off and rescreen you and you kind of get stuck behind. Uh, I think it's easier to go under and like dribble handoffs because both people come in with speed, so it's harder to stop behind. So, and if it becomes a stagger dribble handoff or even in a stagger situation, I'm imagining it's a similar thing, except for the first screen, generally we always want to chase the first and then the second becomes a decision in terms of fastest route. Yeah, you want to chase the first and fastest route the second. you know, people will get tricky or when, like the ball start on one side, it reverse it into a, you know, pin down kind of DHO. Uh, at that time, it might be few, you know, kind of low, man. You know, once I start recording, I have to get back to 
uh, to you, man, you might not be able to chase that uh, that pin down. And then at, at that point, you just fast us right everywhere, just trying to um, trying to get back to the basketball. But if you can, yeah, stagger or stagger DHOs, just, you know, chase the chase the first one and fastest route on the second. Obviously, there's some some scouting report stuff with with that. You know, some guys you're, you're gonna chase no matter what out of everything. Right? And be very physical with them because they can just really shoot it from behind. But that's a hard shot for most people. Man, just incredible insights and incredible depth of uh, sharing here. Thank you, Max. But uh, before we go, like. Let's help coaches understand a little bit more about you, the person, and, uh, you know, from France and obviously, uh, you know, Chris Beard and the experience there and now in the NBA. Just talk a little bit about that uh, that basketball career that developed from your time in France to uh, now. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a great ride so far. You know, I've kind of been lucky to get uh, around the, the right people I get. Uh, I got set up with, uh, with Chris Breed very early, kind of in his head coaching career back in Division Two, And then uh, the, the great thing there was that in Division Two you don't have much help. So uh, first day on the job, I was doing video, player development, scouting, uh, about everything a coach can do. So, uh, and I was, you know, sitting with, with Coach Breed and watching film till two in the morning. It was just me and him. So just kind of soaking up that knowledge uh, every day. Uh, that was a, That was kind of a great starter for me. And obviously, we, we moved from there and got to Texas Tech, went all the way to to the final. Uh, and then at that point, I was, you know, I kind of wanted to, to look at something different. Uh, it wasn't always my goal to be in the NBA, but doors kind of open. And, you know, it's just something you can't you can't really turn down. I uh, just love just love the pro game. You know, it's just all about basketball. So I'm um, here right now and obviously a big fan of the international game as well, just because of my, of my background. So, you know, if I had the choice, I'd, I'd watch the yearly game over, over anything else. <laughs> that's great and uh obviously french basketball as well i mean uh you know look out world i mean obviously there's always been good uh you know quality at the top but uh you know the depth and the quality has just grown and grown hasn't it yeah great great talent i think it keeps getting better uh, there's a really kind of really good few classes here coming up uh so so i think we, we're right where we want to be uh, it's uh, it's a really good uh, country as far as us teaching, and you know, obviously European countries with fundamentals and things like that. And we got a great mix of fundamentals and athleticism, which which make uh, kind of our uh, reservoir of talent pretty deep. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, again, Max, thanks so much for sharing the game. This was tremendous. All right, thanks for having me, Chris. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to immersionvideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at Immersion Videos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.